Hello and welcome to episode number 79 of Future Chat. Nick is not here today, uh, but Mike is. And Mike, you have a new computer. What's, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new hardware? I, I am using a new computer. I'm pretty excited for it, actually. For those watching the feed, you'll see that you're seeing a bit more of my forehead today because <laughs> the camera is sitting on top of my uh, dual display monitor that I have set up. So it's uh no it's a new desktop computer just because we're we find that we're needing to take the laptop out of the house a bit more so it helps to have something at home so it's a i guess you call it a mid-range desktop computer an i5 processor uh four gigs of ram definitely going to increase the ram at some point to, yeah. to eight at least uh but no it's it does the job for now and uh pretty excited to to give it a test when it is a windows pc i was using the mac laptop before so my work computer is a windows so it's a bit more familiar to me to just kind of use it but sure i, I updated to windows 10 as soon as i brought it home because i had 8.1 installed <laughs> by default so got the windows 10 and been been using edge browser so that's pretty exciting whoa yeah i know that so far it's Honestly, I'm just trying not to think that it's not Chrome and it's fine. Like, I okay. guess it doesn't have all my bookmarks and stuff. So maybe at some point, but I haven't really needed them right. lately. Uh, Windows 10 does have Cortana, though. So I'm pretty excited to test that out to see yeah. how it behaves. But yeah, no, definitely. It's it's working pretty well so far. Sweet. Yeah. And you have a new webcam as well because this I one do. didn't come with it. Yeah. So it's just a 720p. It's like 30 bucks at Best Buy. So yeah, does the job for sure. Yeah, I've been complaining throughout the week when we were discussing your your planned purchase that webcam technology seems to have frozen somewhere between three and five years ago. Like yeah. I have, I got a webcam that's 1080. It's like the one or two levels higher than the one you have. Yeah. But all of the webcams they have are still for sale. The same ones, the same lineup they had three or four years ago when I got this one. Yeah. It just seems like where are these new like ultra HD or 4K webcams that seems like they should exist. Yeah. Well, it seems like they've come out with some conference style cameras where it has a wide angle yeah. camera so you can fit in like 20 people inside a in front of a computer. But uh, yeah, other than that, there isn't a ton advanced in it because I think for the most part, people aren't looking for a super high quality webcam. They'll either go with just a camcorder or right or that type thing if you're yeah. going to record video. Well, I mean, in and in theory, you're right. Someone would get like a DSLR and... A capture card if they wanted to capture something really good or a camcorder and a capture card yeah but there's like this camera tech is now three years old and it's still yeah. the stuff they're selling there's no price reduction on it or anything it, it might have gone down ten dollars yeah over like the eighty dollar price in the last three years but it seems strange that the technology hasn't even moved forward even if they're updating the optics in it to make yeah. it better but they have not I think you can hook up a point and shoot or camcorder, even a DSLR to a computer to act mm -hmm. as like a system camera. Can't you, you need a, like an HD capture card, like a special either USB or I think you can get PCI ones as well. Okay. But it needs something like the, if you can't just plug it into HDMI on okay. either end, I, I looked into that for quite a while and it was like, no, it's, this is going to be like a thousand dollars to get. Oh, is it that up. much? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, with the it. depending on the cost, if you have a point and shoot, it would be like 500, but yeah. But still, that's a lot. Yeah. Because the cameras itself are usually four to $500. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Uh, Nick, Nick is not here today. He is sick and apparently unable to speak without coughing. And I was like, nope, I'm not editing that again. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got, it was one year ago today. I got a reminder yeah. on the Facebook on this day thing. Yeah. Um, lamenting having to edit a podcast where three people are sick and <laughs> i'm not doing that 
Um, so yeah, Nick is effectively banned until he feels a little better. Yeah, uh, but he we likes do to wish think, him well. He likes to think he opted out, but he was, he was essentially not allowed to come anyway. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we do have, uh, a number of stories here. We're going again with the kind of more condensed format than we have done in in past weeks up until this past one when we tried this new format. And uh, so we'll see how it goes again. The first story I have here is going to be one that hopefully hopefully our viewers are somewhat familiar with um, because we talk about Tesla every time something happens with Tesla. And basically, they had a recall for one of the, for the Model S, one of their sort of I guess one of their more high volume cars, and so they recalled the entire fleet of Model S's. I, I read somewhere that it was only 30,000, but um, mo- many places are reporting 90,000 90, different Model S uh, cars on the road. And when I first read this, my thought was, oh no, what's like, this is terrible news for Tesla. And then I started reading more and more articles on it and just uh, seeing actually like this is a recall, sure. I mean, it's obviously not great if you have to do this, but basically the way Tesla works as a company and the fact that their cars are so kind of well-made and kind of piecewise, um, what happened was there was a, a one instance of a seatbelt failing in Europe with the Model S. And they immediately checked that, that this one bolt had apparently failed and caused the seatbelt to not, not actually like hold you when you get in an accident. And they decided, okay, well, what we're going to do is have everyone they basically because it's a futuristic company uh they basically emailed all of the owners of teslas and said uh we had this problem and we're recalling the entire fleet so you can make an appointment to come to one of the tesla dealerships or if you can't if there's no tesla dealership near you they're working on bringing the program to the supercharger stations that they have uh and if you can't even get to a supercharger station they will actually try to make an effort to send a tech to your car to do this uh, bolt check. So they're going to check the bolts on the front seatbelts. And uh, basically it's, it's like a three minute examination followed by a replacement of one bolt uh, if it needs it. And that's the recall. Like there's, it's not like every car is doomed and like they're going to have to take it back and give refunds. It's just like they have to do this three minute bolt check and they're going to do it so efficiently. Basically saying, I, I read a lot of people talking about like, GM and Chrysler have been involved in these horrible recalls where like people were getting killed and they were doing math trying to figure out, um, you know, what are the, what's the cost of this going to be and trying to work out the math to make it still make money for them. Uh, whereas Tesla operates much more like a tech company in that they get out ahead of the issue and just say, we're going to preemptively just recall all of this and just fix the problem completely. And I just thought it was really, uh, it was just really awesome that they chose to they chose to do this. They didn't have to go through this particular course of action because it wasn't enough of a problem to merit a full recall. But they voluntarily went ahead and just did this. Yeah. Uh, and apparently everyone from Elon all the way down was was just completely 100 percent behind this idea, like through the the executive branch. Yeah. Just for a bit of insight into how in my experience with recalls, like vehicle recalls are not unheard of. In fact, they're probably one of the more common things that that happen and they usually are just bring your car in five minutes and you're out because mm-hmm. they'll yeah they'll come across a case of whatever failing or being malfunctioning or whatever and they'll just say you know at your convenience if it's not a life-threatening like immediate type thing like the right. toyota brake mm-hmm. failure issue is kind of its own thing but yeah if it's you know the like we had 
two for our car in the past couple of years where the one, the rails on the driver's seat, you know how you can adjust it back and forth. The rails would not sometimes click in fully when you adjust it. So like, okay, bring it in and we'll fix the issue. And there's another one with uh, something with like the, the axle or whatever. But again, it was like, yeah, bring it in again. It was a mailed out notice. Mm-hmm. So that was registered with your registration or your manufacturer or whatever. So if you hadn't updated it, you're probably not going to get that letter. So it's good that they used email in that case yeah. uh, with Tesla. And yeah, it's, it's good to see them jump on it with one case because yeah, for most manufacturers, they'd never issue a recall on one case. Right. But a tech company, if there's a bug fix to do, they'll just issue it. They'll just yep. work on it and come up with a solution and, and issue that. So that's that's nice to see Tesla kind of getting on that and, and having that initiative. Yeah. I uh, I read it. The first real kind of think piece I read on this uh, was from some financial blog. I think it was like like a, an actual financial website that also had a sort of news component. They were talking about the the absolute tank that their Tesla stock had the day of the recall. And so they showed this massive downward trajectory immediately after the recall, and then it just kind of kept trickling down. And so I looked at it later that day. I just went and looked. When I saw the article, I clicked to the actual Tesla stock for the whole day, as opposed to the snapshot they had. And it had like 90% recovered by the time, like but later <laughs> in the day. It's just like, this is not a thing. Stop trying to make it a thing. It's it's just a good move. Yeah. Can um, I say the same for VW? With no, we, <laughs> we just keep finding out more and more. Now, I think they're saying like every car they've made since 2009 is <laughs> going th- has more emissions than they were saying and like illegally high levels. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, you mentioned that not all recalls are necessarily kind of deal breakers for the car where they have to be completely returned or go through some big massive safety inspection. But there, I, I did read examples. I mean, obviously, there's one of the Toyota, Toyota you said with the brakes, yep. where they just would stop working, and like that had caused many fatal accidents. Yeah. Um, but I also was reading at the time about one. Uh, in the when the Tesla thing came out, I was reading about one that where apparently the airbags going off would cause metal shrapnel to be launched out. Also, it's just like that is. Well, how did that design ever get through? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but this, this is, I guess the good news, um, in terms of car recalls. Uh, okay. What's, uh, what's your first story here? I'm very intrigued. Yeah. I actually came across this, I think it was last night and it seemed to have kind of flown under the radar on other kind of news cycles, but I guess the FDA just approved genetically modified meat for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. There's been lots of genetically modified uh, vegetables and corn and all that kind of stuff in the past. And they're kind of the focus of the attention of the groups that are against genetically modified foods or organisms in a more general sense. But the FDA just approved for the first time a genetically modified meat. In this case, it was salmon. Mm -hmm. And apparently it was a 20-year long process that they went through and it just got approved. And the only genetic modification that they're doing to it is crossing, I believe, a salmon with a a schnook salmon and an ocean pout, whatever that is. It must be another <laughs> Some type kind of fish. of fish, presumably. And it speeds up the maturation process because this GM salmon called Aquadvantage grows to the market size in half the time of mm-hmm. the natural kind of farmed salmon. 
so that obviously makes a huge difference because there's a big demand for food in general and salmon is one of those kind of common fish that people buy and eat so if you can get produce more faster then that helps out both the consumer and the producer so you know it's, it's a good thing that this got approved from a consumer standpoint for availability and cost because if there's more available faster than ideally the price should the cost should go down yep um but there have been groups against this because i guess in accordance with just gm rules in a general sense they don't have to label them as genetically modified right so i guess groups are saying oh well it should be labeled but if the FDA approves it because it's fine, then there's no reason to label it specifically as genetically modified because that's obviously going to create that negative kind of knee-jerk reaction. It's like, oh, I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, so the alternatives that the FDA was suggesting is, okay, well, if you other guys, if you natural people want to distinguish yourselves, you can label your own as saying all natural or whatever. Because <laughs> that's but never the, caused problems. Yeah, right. But you know, with, with a genetically modified variant, you don't need to, you don't need to label it because it is perfectly safe. Yeah. As, as are many, if not all other, you know, approved genetically modified foods. Yep. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's good to see this precedent being set and hopefully we'll start to see more solutions being come up with to solve these types of issues where there's food availability or sustainability in certain markets to actually grow them. Because right now, like you have to pretty much, at least in Canada, you have to import almost all your fruit. There's like apples here and oranges and grapes, I guess in Ontario. But for the most part, you're importing all your fruit from California or Florida or Mexico or wherever. So if you can genetically modify foods to grow in better uh, more local conditions, then that's good because it supports, you know, more local business and, and again, the cost. So, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about GM before and how it's kind of overblown and a very hot button issue. What's, what's your take on this FDA approval? I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, we're not quite at the point where the lab grown meat is getting (laughs) regular approval, but this seems like the most obvious possible case. I'm not, it's, it's unclear to me at this point whether this is just, um, kind of splicing different genes together or whether there is some kind of additional tweaking that was made. Cause I mean, crossbreeding has been a thing forever. This, and this seems just like more advanced kind of targeted crossbreeding than it is gen- normal genetic modification where they've inserted genes from say like, uh, of um oh what was it the goat uh goat's milk getting spider dna to make it to uh, make that nano wire whatever it was but uh like that seems a lot more weird but we're splicing two different fish species together seems like a lot more natural target and you something you could just do with regular crossbreeding as opposed to obviously you speed up the process quite a bit by doing it um with the actual genes themselves but it doesn't seem like as big of a deal to me so it seems like a a no-brainer is the first example of this. Yeah. Well, and that's what the proponents of the AquaVantage case have been saying is this is no different than what we've been doing forever with fruit. And yeah. it's, we've already still, we've been doing it still with fish, with crossbreeding and that kind of thing. It just speeds up the process instead of, you know, putting these two fish together, hoping they mate, and then selectively choosing which ones to continue the mating process. You're just shoving the gene into there. 
Mm-hmm. It's like that's the exact same thing you end up with if you did it the natural way. So there's really nothing to worry about in that case. Yeah, you're not crossing a fish with a bird. It's right. It's just a fish with another fish to get that characteristic that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, you mentioned the lab grown meat. I think that's going to be the next kind of. I guess companies are already working on that, but I think that's the next thing you're going to start seeing is, you know, canned meat that's been grown versus. Yeah. It, maybe it won't be canned, just so it's a bit nicer to look at. But <laughs> in, in, yeah. in, in any case, it'll be like a lab-grown meat that ideally won't be any or much different than what you're used to eating. Yeah. At, some, at a certain point, we will have the spam challenge where you have to tell the difference between right. spam and lab-grown meat because yeah. they're going to look basically identical. Yeah. Yeah. The, the strange thing about this for me, and not really growing up near any kind of um production area like i i didn't i have read about uh like salmon farms or different fish farms where they're basically raised in tanks and it's very similar to the way chickens are raised in kind of the way we think about it pretty horrific conditions um that seems like the weirder thing to me that that should raise the ire of people over kind of this kind of fish farming as opposed to catching fish off the like in the ocean or in lakes or whatever the case may be. Um, and so the, these are, this is going to be no different. They're going to be, it says they're going to start off as eggs in produced in Canada. And then they're going to be sent down to Panama to be actually grown in these specialized tanks. It, that whole thing to me seems really strange. Like I get why they would do it. Cause basically the food supply needs to be more tightly controlled than having to deal with ocean fish stocks. But it's it's strange to me that that's the way that we um, get fish, and that's in general that's the way we get animals. But they have to be grown and farmed in such massive quantities that there's really no other way to do it. We're not nobody is going to deal well with um, going into your supermarket and it's like, oh, we we ate all the fish in the oceans, so you can't <laughs> have fish this month or this year. Right? Um, there's that's that reality is not going to work in the modern society, unfortunately, because and same thing with fruit, like fruit can't go out of season. There, there's obviously certain exceptions where fruit kind of literally has to go out of season, but all the regular fruit is either grown year round just in different places, or it's just grown in the season and kind of they grow it in massive quantities so they can spread out, um, actually giving it out over the year. Yeah. I don't know if it's more just kind of uh, placebo, I guess. Where or confirmation bias, I guess would be more accurate. Where if I'm eating a fruit that should be out of season, but it's not, mm-hmm. like it's there to buy, the quality seems less. Yeah, but I, I haven't done any sort of scientific experiment into that. But I just the times where, and this is exactly confirmation bias, but the times <laughs> where it's, it's bad, it's like oh wait, it's out of season. But I've also had bad batches of fruit when they're yeah. in season too. Yeah. But I don't know. I I I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case that an out of season fruit that's grown to be or modified to still grow when it's out of season has a lower kind of quality or at least satisfaction right. of, yeah. of eating anyone who's had uh strawberries that are actually picked and grown locally versus a strawberry that's either out of season or is just massive and has obviously like gone through several iterations of favoring a larger size over more flavor in terms of genetics um is going to know exactly what that's like. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that I look forward to strawberry season. Like I, I, I wouldn't say strawberries are my favorite fruit, but I, I enjoy eating them. And but I enjoy eating them a lot less when I have to eat this massive, mostly white or at least very light red um, strawberry, like baseball sized, versus right. having a, a small strawberry that is just like full of flavor. Yeah, I know. Like I've I've heard a lot about tomatoes being that same yeah, case. Yeah. That- They've been so heavily modified to be resilient and large and colored that the taste is just not anywhere near where they should be. Yeah, yeah. And I, I totally would wouldn't be surprised because when you bite into a tomato, it's like acid. Mm-hmm. It's like it, like it's tomato flavored, <laughs> but it's acid mostly. Yeah. And you know, if you go to say Italy, where they're you know very organically grown and they have kind of more natural uh, strains of seeds and stuff there that you can use because even the seeds that you buy here have still have those same modifications to them so Mm. um yeah it'd be i'd like to kind of have that kind of comparison between you know what we what i think of a tomato and what a tomato should taste like right yeah it's interesting that even you uh, we've talked about this in many episodes uh of this show and, and just in discussion in general but it's even it's interesting that even you use words like organically grown well to describe. I, i'm not I know using what you it mean, in but yeah. organically grown doesn't begin to describe the way that they that they do that it's it's selecting when, when they grow crops they've known for i mean farmers in the mediterranean area have known for a long time that you can you can grow vegetables with certain traits if you choose your seeds wisely from the best possible stock and so north american i'm going to i'm going to quantify and say north american uh they tend to favor the size over the flavor and Mm-hmm. taste and um, the, the color too yeah, the color is important but uh and we've i think if we didn't discuss it it was at least talked about briefly um outside of the show talking about i think it was heirloom tomatoes they've started to tip back in on the side of selecting for flavor mm-hmm. and even more specifically selecting for mineral and nutrient content in tomatoes because they basically opted for this big water-filled ball they're basically water balloons uh and how that's not really an enjoyable tomato experience and so it they have actually in certain cases started selecting for taste again and trying to get back to the good tasting tomato that everyone remembers as opposed to this watery um not so great tasting tomato yeah the crazy thing is that and i have the same thought process when i'm at the grocery store I'll be picking produce and I'll kind of instinctively pick up some of the bigger ones and be like, oh, this is a good big one. But then I realize, wait, I'm paying per pound. So (laughs) I'm paying more for this than a smaller one anyway. So I should pick one that, you know, looks the best, not just the biggest one. Right. But in the interest of the grower, they'd rather sell one giant one for more than a smaller, cheaper one. But if you're buying three small ones, the two large ones is to the grower's expense because you're buying more of their product or less of their product wait you're buying more of their product for the same amount of money than right less of their product for the same so yeah yeah the yeah i definitely have that at the grocery store all the time where as especially just having two people in the house like i don't need a like a green pepper for instance the size of i don't know a softball right i'm i'd be okay with having one the size of a baseball and but that that doesn't really exist. And so we end up trying to, I end up trying to find the smallest fruit or vegetable I can have because for the two of us, if we're making a salad or something. 
I can't use if I use an entire green pepper to make this salad, it's just going to be green pepper and lettuce. Like there's yeah. no, there's no room for other ingredients if it's just two people. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I, I'd be more in favor of having all vegetables kind of go that route again, go for selecting for flavor as opposed to just making them as big as possible. Yeah, for sure. It also takes longer to grow them if you do that. If you select them for flavor? It, I mean, if you, if you select them for size, it takes longer than if you, cause then they right. have to grow. And I mean, obviously over, over a certain amount of time, you can maybe optimize it to get them to grow faster as opposed to just leaving them on the vine for longer. But I'd much rather have a small, like a regular sized pepper than have these massive peppers that you sometimes see. Or yeah. I mean, any, any fruit or vegetable can, can go the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. You have a story here about this is, this is very interesting because I think this is a plot of a movie I really like, but uh, tell me how raisins can help uh, predict academic ability. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw this in your, in your news cycle this week, but this was one of those kind of viral scientific results that it all starts with, oh, scientists have found that, yeah. dot, 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 and it's some clickbaity headline. And this one was one of those, and I saw it so, I ignored it the first couple times I saw it, and, and <laughs> like, okay, I've seen this enough times that I'm, I have to read it just to know what it's about, so that when I see the sure. headline for the rest of the week, I know what they're talking about. And yeah, all the headlines are saying, oh, you're, uh, this simple test can predict your child's educational capabilities or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I guess these these scientists had uh, derived a test relating premature births to educational abilities, I guess, or in this specifically attention span when they're eight. Okay. So it was a very long term study, an eight year study, and they they did this test when they were twenty months old, gestational age. So, or corrected gestational age. So when you're premature, I think. I can't remember if you were premature. I was post-mature. Or you're post-mature. Okay. By like three weeks. <laughs> right. So you'd, you'd still have a corrected age too then, it, technically. But yeah. it's more for premature babies that mm-hmm. if a baby is born at 28 weeks, they're not consi- at 40 weeks when they're 12 weeks old after their birthday, mm-hmm. they're still considered newborn age because right. they say they've only had those 40 weeks that, you know, term babies would have had anyway. So... They took babies that were 20 months old, corrected age. So if you're 28 weeks, they're technically younger than another 20-month-old baby right. with their full term, but they're still relatively 20, 20 month old. And they did this test where they put a raisin underneath a cup, like a transparent cup, and said, wait one minute before you grab that raisin. It, this says opaque cup. I just want to make oh, okay. sure. I, I remember it's transparent. Maybe it's opaque. You, like, cause I, I, guess. I would picture it as transparent, but yeah, it okay. says opaque here. Did it say opaque? Yeah. Okay. Then in that case, either way, they knew there's a raisin under the cup. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so they gave them two practice runs to explain the game to these 20 month olds mm-hmm. and said, okay, you know, this, there's a raisin under here. You can't touch it until I tell you to, or until however much time passes, I guess. Right. And there's, you know, the marshmallow experiment was kind of a similar right. thing where they're trying to avoid touching this marshmallow. Well, avoid or eating, eating it, it, I think. I guess, was, yeah, I think yeah. they were allowed to play with it, but they couldn't yeah. eat it. So in this case, they couldn't grab the raisin after until a minute had passed. Mm-hmm. And if they grabbed it under that minute, it showed that they didn't have good control over their impulses or just right. kind of attention or whatever. And they did a group of premature, so 28 to 38 weeks gestational age and then 38 plus okay and they found that the premature group 
showed more instances of not being able to control their impulse to go grab the raisin before that minute. Mm-hmm. And then they, eight years later, they evaluated their academic performance with whatever group of evaluators. And according to the evaluators' assessments, the uh, again, it was blind. It was a blind uh, assessment. So they didn't know who was premature, who wasn't. The premature group showed pr- more poor academic performance than the full-term babies. Right. So there's a correlation between the prematurity, the grabbing the raisin before that minute, and the academic performance. So then they, that suggested that if you're premature, you're more prone to being poor, controlling your impulses, which mm-hmm. led to poor academic performance. Huh. And then all these websites took that as give your child this test and that shows how they'll perform <laughs> in school. And that's and that's kind of where I'm like, not really. <laughs> it's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's not really how it works. Yeah. Uh, but from looking at the research itself and I linked to the actual paper for those actually interested to read it, like they go through the statistics and stuff and I'm not a stats guy in a, you know, in depth sense, but right. if it, they'll at least kind of go over their, their results and they have a couple, they have a discussion at the end where they talk about the shortcomings of the study and they're the same shortcomings that I kind of thought of when I, when I read about the study, how it's like, well, not all kids like raisins. So right. if a kid's not interested in having a raisin, <laughs> they're not going to grab it. And, uh, so the, they, they said, you know, you could have offered, offered them a selection of treats, then put it under the cup and said, don't eat it so that you kind of control for that desire for what type of treat right. was under there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there are a couple other things. So if the read the actual paper, if you're interested in it, don't go based on the actual science articles, right? Like the, the article itself is fine, but just take it with a grain of salt as far as the conclusions that they're drawing from it, yeah. because the conclusions that these articles are drawing aren't really the same as the paper, right? They, they wrote the article to get people to read it versus so, the paper itself. Yeah. You, you might have more insight. I mean, you definitely have more insight than me, but at that age, at the age where they're doing this raisin yeah. part of the experiment is that are they likely to understand what's actually going on with the waiting for the raisin or are they if maybe just they're just eating it because they don't even understand what's going on i th- i think 20 months is is okay okay when when emma was you know 18 to 24 months like she she knew what it meant to like share and you know you're not allowed to do that. Like, and it depends on how the kid was raised too. That's a big control aspect. Like if the kid wasn't raised to have that type of control to begin with, that's going to play a big part in, in how they respond to this experiment because some kids just aren't taught to wait for something like they'll just, yeah. Right. So I think that's a big control aspect and that actually wasn't even brought up in the paper, but so I don't know how they selected their subjects for this test, but, um, I think there, there isn't, it's not impossible for a child to have that type of, concept of wait for this treat before okay. grabbing it but 20 months is pretty young it's not like a two or a three-year-old where right. like a lot happens in those four months from 20 months to 24 months so yeah they could have been older but i i don't know why they picked 20 months right like, i mean I, yeah it's it seems like it could be just an arbitrary they had to pick an age and they wanted to start early but late enough that they would still understand some of what was going on yeah obviously they don't understand that it's part of a scientific study and that like the results are going to be used for 20 years or 50 years to determine right. how we did test intelligence in very young children. But right. um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the purpose of the study based on the paper was kind of, you know, if you do this test then, or even if you just notice a lack of control over that type of situation to ha- get them to practice and work on that aspect 
so that there's a better chance of better academic performance down the right. road than just letting that be like, oh, that's just how they are kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because I, I agree, it's important for a child to understand that there's some things that you can't just have right when you want it. You need right. to kind of wait for it, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was that. And then that, uh, yeah, just being able to identify that, I guess, yeah. is kind of the big thing. I mean, this this test specifically, in in contrast to the marshmallow test that you were mentioning earlier, this test, it doesn't seem like there's any incentive to wait other than that you were told. And that might right. be kind of telling in that school is kind of, I mean, obviously years later, you're going to be thankful if you go through school and pay attention and um, like go through school the right way where you're finishing your assignments on time. You're not talking in class, all of these kind of good behavior predictors in school. Whereas, but at 20 months, maybe you wouldn't necessarily understand that, you know, do it just because we said so, just because I don't know if it was the parents doing it or if the scientists were doing it, uh, saying don't eat this for 60 seconds. Like I would find it hard to believe and tell me if I'm wrong, but what a child's concept of being told you have to wait a minute. And then like there's been research done and shown that, uh, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place here, but I swear there's a point to this. Um, research has shown that kids, the younger you are, the slower you're likely to perceive time. And so that minute is going to take a lot longer perceptively to the point that I think you could pretty, um, reassuredly say that the kids can be like, Oh, is this minute up yet? How is this taking so long? And that they would just do it. Whereas, uh, something like the marshmallow test where they had, they had to wait, I think it was 20 minutes with this marshmallow. And then if they waited the 20 minutes, they would get a second marshmallow. Uh, this, this other, this experiment we're talking about now doesn't have any of that plus side. You're literally just doing it because somebody said so. And I think that's kind of an important distinction. And it might have something to do with, with the results in that we go to school at school age. You go to school because your parents say so. There's no, there's no incentive at the time that you're aware of about right the future of like what going to school and paying attention in school is actually going to get you. Right. So uh, yeah. when I, th- I think that just shows why they designed the experiment that way though, because it's, it's most, it's most similar to the incentives that exist for a child, an eight year old at school. Yeah. Like, Cause at that age, you're not thinking about their careers. You're not thinking even at that age, you're not really getting graded in a meaningful way. Like, right. you know, you're not, I don't know. Normally you're not failing math tests. You're just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like you don't have a concept of how well you're doing in school at that age. I don't think not the same way like a junior high or high school student would. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm this, it also seems to me. And again, I I don't have much experience with very young kids. So tell me if I'm wrong, but like they're describing the training they had to go through at the start of the experiment. The first, they did three test runs where the first run, they were allowed to just eat it. Uh, the second run, they had to wait five seconds. And the third run, they had to wait 10 seconds. And then they were told, all right, now you have to wait 60 seconds. I would find it, again, really hard to believe that a kid would go through these three runs where they're allowed to eat very quickly and then ask to wait and they, that they actually understand fully the difference about what's going on. And it seems like the changes they went through, they're, they're doing different age groups um, and ranking the results. It seems like maybe what they're just doing is mapping that as kids age, even in that very important kind of um, growing up period, as they age, that's when they start to realize 
what like they start to process language better they start to understand meaning behind language better it, they might not be measuring what they think they're measuring even if it does end up kind of correlating with stuff later on because um, it shows like under 32 weeks 60 percent of kids didn't wait but by the time they were 39 to 41 weeks the the, the group i'm guessing that was 49 to 41 weeks 39 to 41 weeks sorry was down to 24 percent like it seems like that is so much of a change over such a short period that rather than having to do with uh, the actual kind of changes in uh, in this methodology over time, I'm, I'm confusing myself here with language. Um, it seems like that sort of seven week gap is just where kids start to learn what exactly what this test is supposed to study. Like if you look at the the difference between 32 and 39 weeks, and I encourage people to go and look at this chart. Um, it ta- it goes through the the amount that the the length of time they waited and the percentage of kids that waited that long, and then right underneath it, it puts their test scores. And it seems like even though at under thirty two weeks, there's a fifty or almost sixty percent of people of the kids didn't wait ten seconds. They did. It seems like they did pretty much around the same on the tests as the thirty nine to forty one week kids, even though only twenty four percent of them ate it right away. And so it seems like it doesn't seem like a very strong predictor. I mean, and obviously that's kind of what pop science is. Right. It's like we're tra- we're doing this and maybe they're not thinking, oh, you know, this is kind of these are garbage results. Maybe this will just lead to future funding and different studies. But it seems like it's not as conclusive as the headlines made it out to seem. And I don't think it's it's definitely not something that parents should use as a test to see whether their kids need extra help uh, in school six or seven years later. It just, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd see it more as, and I guess it's just another conclusion to draw, like all these kids, like you were talking about the difference in the time mm-hmm. given based on the age, but you have to realize that the premature kids actually had more time, like more parental involvement time than right. the full-term kids, right? Yeah. So in theory, the preterm kids should have a advantage because they have more exposure to parenting mm-hmm. right albeit the first however many weeks that they're premature they're still developing even prior to what the full-term kids would be when they come out yeah um but like i think it's it's indicative of how environmental factors such as parenting style or values affect kids in an academic sense such Mm -hmm. as discipline in you know delayed gratification or whatever you want to kind of consider this type of test like what it's testing for and and i think it's more like you know these types of values even though it might not seem like a big deal at the time it's like well okay he's just a kid that wants stuff right away it's like okay well these have kind of more overreaching effects in other aspects of life yeah and and again it's just obviously a kind of a suggestion and a conclusion drawn from this but it's it's according to this it's enough of a suggestion that it's worth researching for excuse me researching further yeah yeah that's fair Hmm. i uh i'm gonna have to do more research as having a child becomes more and more of a statistical likelihood yeah um yeah so that's uh that's that story you have another story here um about comcast and you want to talk more about net neutrality (laughs) yeah it's 
I think this is kind of in response to, I guess Comcast isn't a mobile provider, but they, uh, they're a cable provider. Mm-hmm. But kind of along the same lines as T-Mobile has allowed their binge on program to have the streaming services not count towards data caps. Comcast uh, just announced that their streaming service, I guess a Netflix or a show me type service won't count towards their cable data cap. Right. And so this, this Comcast service is 15 bucks a month. And say you get 300 gigabytes in your data cap. If you're using the streaming service, it's not going to count towards that data cap. And then people started screaming net neutrality and with the way net neutrality rules are right now, the rules don't apply when it's like a direct network utilization. So in our net neutrality episode, however many months or years ago at this point, yeah. the uh, the rules were talking about how they're kind of like the middlemen that would choke back uh, bandwidth on yeah. certain uh, provider or not providers, but certain content. Whereas this is like a direct connection to the customer mm-hmm. where they're managing that. So that doesn't net neutrality rules don't apply to that. And I'm inclined to agree. I'm I'm not opposed to what Comcast is doing. I, I don't, I think it could set a precedent where it kind of starts getting kind of carried away. But in this specific case, I don't think there's a huge deal with saying, you know, you're paying for our cable service. We're directly providing you with the content. The caps are our own caps. Mm-hmm. But if you're using our service, that's not going to count towards your caps. I, I, I don't see that as being a big deal because it's their own product. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it'd be different if they said, oh, Netflix isn't going to count because Netflix isn't their own product. Yeah. And even then, it's, that wouldn't really apply because it's just kind of talking about the data cap. They're not talking about, you know, slower speeds or anything like that. I think that's kind of where neutrality starts coming into play. But with this, where they're saying, you know, using our service won't count towards your cap. I don't see a huge deal about it. Right. Uh, well, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. This seems uh, kind of like a gray area. We've we've talked about in the past many, uh, many different services and things that seem to be clear violations of net neutrality or at least proposed changes that seem to be clear violations of it. And we've talked about things that very clearly aren't at all related to net neutrality. This definitely seems like the a very gray area in that if if Comcast had this company that you could sign up for a streaming service and they also had this other company that was owned the the parent company was the same but they had two separate companies that one was offering this streaming service and one was offering the thing with data caps it seems a lot less uh gray and all as well if they if they announced hey we're a service provider uh, we're gonna, or we want to be a service provider. We're gonna launch this service where we have nationwide internet, and you can stream anything you want, not counting towards your data caps. I think it would raise a lot, raise a lot less ire if it came up at the same time. But the fact that that they've always been the service provider and they're adding this unlimited streaming option seems like kind of a no brainer. And it doesn't, it doesn't actually say like this is. It's just Comcast streaming service. This isn't any other streaming services. Right. They still all count yeah. towards the thing. Um, it, it kind of seems like this is just, this is a different thing. You already have this Comcast service. If you sign up for this, this additional streaming service, it will give you as much TV as you want. It's not like it, it's counted completely differently. It's not like, oh, this would use 50 extra gigabytes a month, 
but because you are signed up for the streaming service, we're going to wipe that 50 gigabytes away. They're, they're kind of slanting it as we'll give you this service and it doesn't count at all towards your cap. Like the way that, uh, oh, what is it? I think, well, show me in Canada with Rogers doesn't count towards your cap. Does it? I, I, I don't know. That I was think. trying to think about that when they read about this. Yeah. I don't know if Show Me and Crave, like Crave being Telus, I think Telus, Bell, whatever, or whoever. They're basically the same them. company at this point. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So yeah, there's those two that are essentially the same thing as this, but I don't know if those count towards your cap or not because I've never I used. I think them. Show Me doesn't. I I'm not entirely sure, but I we've used Show Me and I don't I don't think so. Uh, but the the main point is. If you have, if you've signed up and you're paying $15 a month for this streaming service, the fact that it doesn't have a data cap seems fine. But there's also the fact that if you kind most people aren't going to sign up for multiple streaming services. They're going to pick their one main one. And if they, if they say want HBO shows and the streaming service they're on doesn't offer HBO shows, they might get HBO as well. Like they might get one kind of premier one and one, um, sort of more like Netflix type thing where it has more general content and lots of it. But this kind of seems like if you sign up for this, that and that's the main place you're going to be watching TV, then who cares about your data cap? Like you don't necessarily need 300 gigabytes for your data cap if the the thing that's high bandwidth for most users, the thing that uses most users bandwidth is HD video. It seems like that's going to be the majority unless you're using this service to the point that you're willing to pay $15 a month for it. And you're also streaming video from other sources, be it YouTube, be it Netflix, be it Hulu, whatever. It just seems like you don't actually, if, if streaming video is not being counted towards your data cap, then you aren't ever going to get close to your data cap. Obviously there are specific use cases where that is not going to be the case. Like if you're running a server or something, but the, the predominant thing that is taking up video or internet bandwidth is video. Mm-hmm. and they i don't know if they i've heard much more than 50 percent of all traffic on the internet is video it, that is the the main thing and so it just seems like this is kind of a moot point in that it doesn't matter if it doesn't count against your data caps because if you're streaming the majority of your the majority of your video through a service that uh is also your internet provider then you're not gonna ever incur usage that is anywhere near your cap but that's kind of the point is that yeah. for people for people who bump up against that cap every month, say with Netflix, mm-hmm. then switching over to this stream service, it's called stream. Yeah. If they switch over to it with that $15 a month, then they won't have those issues anymore. That's kind of the whole th- point, though. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, in terms of net neutrality, if it's taking away from something else, then that's not great. If it's right. ta- if it's taking customers away from Netflix solely because they they are bumping up against Comcast data caps, that's I understand that the concern there, but I don't think it's a net neutrality concern necessarily. I think it's just like kind of a gross thing to do. Right? Yeah, it's it's competition, but yeah. it's not it's borderline fair because right. you have the freedom to switch providers mm-hmm. if you don't. Like it, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's their own service, right? It's it's the same thing with Google's issues with a lot of places where it's like, oh, you're showing your own ads. It's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, it's our service, are. yeah. So why wouldn't we, right? And with Google's case, it's more like, well, you're so big now that you need to responsibly do that because no one uses anything else. Mm-hmm. Which it's like, well, 
because everything else sucks or people are just right. it, whatever that that shouldn't really be an issue in this case you have you know at least in the states you have two or three other cable options but, so that's, i think in some markets yeah. you have two i think most markets that's have at the least problem two. i think mainly yeah. is that sometimes yeah, you don't have the option to switch or the option you have to switch to is terrible right right and that's that's just in the tech news that's kind of what i've been yeah. hearing you have yeah. as well so yeah in that case it's like well which one do you want but, <laughs> Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, it sucks, but it's I, I wouldn't say it's a violation of net neutrality. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I I um we can talk about this maybe briefly. I signed up for Netflix again, I mentioned two days ago for their free tar- free trial. Every pro tip, if you only want Netflix once a year, you don't need to pay for it. They will offer you more and more free trials as long as you keep not paying them. Um i it's strange. The whole I I would have thought that having Netflix would make me want to watch video, whatever their their content on my TV. Like I would sit in front of the TV more. But I watched almost all of uh, Wet Hot American Summer, the the eight episode series they had uh, this past summer, and I just watched it on my phone, laying in bed. Like I didn't using Netflix though. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't see myself ever going back to watching a TV for for anything really like any major thing like even sports now with uh, the rogers package we have we get um game center live and so i've been watching a lot of hockey just on my phone or the ipad like it's i guess i'm probably the oldest possible digital native but like i'm not ever going back to the way things were where you kind of center around a tv and that's the main source of your kind of visual entertainment like I'm just that's not how my life is. Very odd. Yeah. The only time that I'm ever in front of a TV is when Emma's watching one of her shows and she asks me to come watch with her. Right. Or it's the end of the day and we're just putting a show on to fall asleep to. Or not mm. to fall asleep to, but just before kind of crashing for the night kind yeah. of thing. So I'll put an episode of The Office or Friends or whatever on and just kind of watch one show and then go to bed. Right. But yeah, I'm I'm not making a point to watch tv at any other point in the day mm. like there's times like there's one show called swished at birth i don't know if you guys have seen that before but it they have it on abc family or whatever right. it's called now uh abc <laughs> something else something. now it's something else now <laughs> or at least in january it'll be something else i forget what yeah. it's called now uh but they had it on hulu for on demand and because we don't have cable otherwise right so we signed up for hulu for to watch the episodes and then after that show was done we stopped paying for hulu and but we only ever watch that at the same time, just right before bed, we'd watch an episode and go to yeah. sleep. But a there's no time during the day because you're either working or just doing stuff, and or you have like your phone, like on the bus. I'll watch YouTube, I'll watch you know watch uh, Portlandia on Netflix on yeah. the bus because I have nothing better to do at that point. <laughs> but yeah, I think TV media consumption in general and TV specifically has changed so much that yeah, you're not. Like, people don't have time to sit down for a scheduled show. Right. If it's on at 7, you're not going to sit down at 7 and watch it. You're going to record it or just miss it. Mm -hmm. So, and the sporting events are probably the one thing that people actually make a point to watch when they're on so that you can watch it live and have that experience. But even with those, if it's regular season, people just will record the games or do the on-demand game just to catch it if they missed it. So, right. yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those interesting changes. And yeah, I think you're right. Where we're kind of... We were young enough or we're old enough to remember what it was like before on-demand TV. Yeah. 
I think when we were kids, they were just starting to come out with digital cable where you didn't have to go to the TV guide or go to channel three to see what's on. You could just pull up the menu and kind of scroll through the shows and Mm -hmm. switch to it. But yeah, I think it'd be crazy to go back to that. Yeah. The, so what I've decided, I think that I'm going to do, I've kind of gotten into the point that I'm now subscribed to Apple music. I think barring some weird thing, I think I might just stick with Netflix now. But what I think I might have to end up doing is opting out of certain forms of entertainment just because like if if a show isn't available on Netflix or isn't on YouTube or or something like that, isn't on a platform I'm subscribed to, I'm just not going to watch that show. I'm already well aware that there's a lot of entertainment that I might find enjoyable, but there just isn't time for me to actually enjoy and so I might just have to start making that kind of, they're not necessarily hard choices, but I'm not trying to paint myself as some kind <laughs> First of First world problems a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I might have to start making choices like, oh, you know, I I actually, there's too much entertainment. And if I just stick to whatever's on Netflix, I will be more than satisfied entertainment wise. And, yeah. and that's probably okay. Yeah. And Netflix has gotten better, especially the Canadian one. Oh yeah, one. for sure. Like, you, can, you can survive on it. And like we have, we're paying for, I mean, not, paying for a vpn but it's uh we're not really needing to use it anymore because the canadian one has added so many more shows that we're okay watching yeah the problem i have with services like that is not with the services themselves but with licensing and all that like for example for example if i wanted to watch community Mm -hmm. that's the example i first opened up it's like i put in three shows that i think i would like to watch and it suggests community right away as something that it thinks i would also enjoy and I go and look and only the first four seasons are available because at the fifth season, I have no idea why that's just stuck in some kind of purgatory, but the sixth season was on Yahoo. And okay. so you can't, it's just not available. And there are so many, so many edge cases like that where new shows, you're not going to be like, you can't use Netflix to watch the latest anything. Right. And the only time you're going to get brand new stuff on Netflix is their original series when they just dump them all. And that's the one downside of this kind of thing is like, if I want to go back and rewatch old communities, I can only watch the first four seasons. If I want to go back and another example is happy endings. That show was on Netflix, but now it isn't. And I love that show. Like there's no, like the one streaming network for me needs to have my three or four favorite shows to rewatch. Otherwise I'm just like, what's the point of this? Cause that's the majority of thing. If I just want something on, I'm going to put something on that I've already seen just because I love rewatching like those, those cornerstone comedies for my kind of 20 something yeah. self yeah. for well, the that, time being. That, I need that. That's the great thing about Netflix. And actually now that I think about it, I can't remember if we're using our VPN right now for all I know, we might be, maybe you can tell <laughs> me, but right now the shows we watch are like, we have the office on Netflix. There's how I met your mother and there's friends and there's scrubs. Mm-hmm. So between those shows, we'll always have something to go and rewatch because both Marie and I are okay watching old episodes of stuff. I know right. you've said in the past that you're not really big into that. Like you won't really rewatch old episodes of stuff. Unless it's comedy. Okay. So yeah, in that case, but then yeah. Then it's going, I, I don't rewatch old episodes. I, I start the series over again and rewatch. Oh, do through. you? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's right. like listening to nope. an album from 2003. Like I, I wouldn't go and pick a song, but I would go and listen to that album again. Right. I think it depends on the show. Like Friends and How I Met Your Mother, they're yeah. fairly easy to just jump into that, any time yeah. in between. Mm-hmm. I think, and same with The Office, Scrubs is a bit trickier to jump into the middle because there's a lot more kind of stories that they carry on from episode to episode. Right. Um, 
But yeah, there's times where I'll think of, like, we'll be talking about an episode of The Office that we liked, and then we'll just go look it up and just go watch it. Right. Um, like, when it was my birthday two weeks ago, week and a half ago, mm-hmm. I uh, we went and watched the, you know, the the Kelly's birthday, the It Is right. Your Birthday episode, <laughs> yes. and we both laughed about that because we were talking about, she, she was going to, Maria was going to make my cake, and I was like, oh, what's the theme going to be? And then I was like, frosting, right? So then that's how we started talking about that, so we went and watched it, and yeah. it was fine. We have dvds we have the entire dvd series of friends mm-hmm. that ria had but we'll, we'll just watch it on netflix because it's yeah, there yeah and you know same with scrubs she has all the scrubs episodes but we'll just watch it on netflix because it's there so yeah. that's what we've really liked using it for and we're fine paying for that because it's convenient and no matter what device you're on you'll have it mm-hmm. so i think i'd be willing to pay double if it just had everything like if it just not even like everything more, ever not even no 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 not even new <laughs> not even different shows if it just had the ability to get if a show has if it aired it has the whole run of the show and that it, ha, it had kind of an on-demand kind of thing where when a show is aired you can watch it like if if you want to watch i'm trying to think of a modern show i don't really watch many okay. but like i have an example that sure. i just remembered because with going back to switched at birth i realize now what happened because it was on hulu mm-hmm we were paying for it, and then they stopped showing it on Hulu for the new season because okay. they didn't have the agreement. But it was on Google Play. Okay. So we just bought episodes as they came out mm. and watched them there, and then and then after you buy them, you have them. Right. That's right? the dream just, for them. <laughs> who? The the whatever company is responsible for making. I guess it's ABC in that case or Disney. Um, right. Yeah. That the dream is to have you watch a show and like it so much that you're willing to pay for the following season. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think they actually, this show had fairly poor ratings, but okay. I think there are enough people probably watching online that they I think it, it. it did get renewed for the next season. But, right. Um, sorry, I was just remember that going back to your yeah. thing about just having all the shows that yeah. there are options like iTunes or Apple and Google Play where they have full seasons of stuff yeah. and they actually release episodes as they as they come out. There's another show called The Grinder or Grinder. Okay. And I saw a pilot episode on the plane one time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is a fun show. And it was a pilot for a new ep- new show. And right. sure enough, it's getting released on Google Play. But I haven't actually started watching that one yet, but I'm planning on, on starting that series. Okay. So Yeah. It, it's, it's an odd world, and most people are just fine with it. I'm, I tend to be less fine with it just because why settle for that? Like, I'm always going to aim for the better. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to real-time follow-up abc family is going to be called freeform which is such a good name for a tv network <laughs> well, for for the backstory is that abc family seemed to be misleading for right. people because they had shows like pretty little liars which yeah. is not a family show right <laughs> so they're like well, maybe we shouldn't be called abc family because you can't sit your five-year-old in front of the tv and watch that channel all yeah. the time if, you can for some shows, yeah. but not for all of them. So, If there's anything that I would consider to be freeform, it would be a TV network where they play content on a scheduled basis. Uh, that just seems like a perfect description for the word freeform. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, man. TV. Yeah. going to be the enemy. Um, what I'm going to do here, Mike, we've been going for quite some time. We wanted to keep this episode short, but we've had some very good discussions, so I'm happy with that. Um, what I think we'll do is we'll go to the after show and I'm just going to mention before we do that, that I'm really excited for SpaceX. This is the last story we were going to have, but I think 
there's not too much to say on it. So what no. I'll do is we'll just go to the after show and say, um, before we do that, um, NASA granted contracts to SpaceX and earlier this year to Boeing um, to pending funding to put uh, private space companies sending the next uh, U.S. astronauts to the International Space Station starting in 2017. Yeah. They, yeah. Something hasn't been done since the space shuttle days. And so I just wanted to let people know that. And uh, I'm really excited for the future of semi-private space travel. Yeah, I think the first manned private space flight, like launch, mm-hmm. is going to be huge. That's yeah. going to be, you know, the, the last, was it the last SpaceX one or the one before that where the rocket malfunctioned? Well, and... That was the test. That right, was that's the, just for the cargo one. Right, that, that was just the, the cargo the one, one, the Falcon yeah. 9. Yeah, this one's the Crew Dragon, yeah, I think it was called. Like that. The SpaceX Crew Dragon. And yeah, we'll see how, how that goes. Apparently it went through some iterations to make it more reliable. Right. So they're, they feel they're ready to test the waters. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, really excited for that. They, they're saying they've given out contracts to both. They've promised both Boeing and SpaceX. Although it's going to be interesting coming up in 2017, which one actually ends up going first. They haven't decided yet. I'm very intrigued to see how that, like, I guess it's going to have to do probably with safety and cost and all, all of these factors are going to come into play, but I'm intrigued to yeah. see which one actually gets the first yeah. one. Yeah, I'll admit that before hearing about this, I had no idea Boeing was even in the private space flight yeah. game. Like I knew about Virgin and and SpaceX, but mm-hmm. I didn't hear about Boeing. So yeah, I, I guess in hindsight, it makes sense that Boeing would be right. It's, yeah, it's Boeing. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's that's all we'll say on that. Um, very exciting, very interesting. But uh, we'll go to the after show. We have a, a nice special after show planned and. Uh, for now, thanks for listening to this week's Future Chat. Uh, I'd like to thank Audible.com for helping support the podcast. If you didn't hear the news this week, you can now get the Harry Potter audiobooks on Audible.com. So if you head to audibletrial.com slash unwind right now, you can start a free 30-day trial and start listening to Harry Potter on Audible for free. That's audibletrial.com slash unwind. Uh, So we'll be back here next week with more science and tech talk and you can find past episodes of this show and more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you next time. Ciao. Okay, Mike, we are going to talk about Google Plus slash Hangouts after show. Something that very few people are going to care about, but that I think is a very interesting thing to talk about, mainly because... I think people don't understand what Google is trying to do with these products. Right. And I think what Google is trying to do, I think is take what their users like based on what their users are using and make those things better and more the focus of their attention. So they had, they had streams, uh, which was apparently like, that was what they were talking about when they, when they launched Google photos, they were talking about, they were going to have photos and they were going to have streams and basically the the thing being the home page is going to be the place where you can see all your news like a traditional social network like facebook probably most like facebook and people really weren't using it to say type up a post on google plus and like a status update right exactly thing. they weren't yeah. using it like that but it doesn't yeah. mean they weren't using it period and if i uh, if you or i go to our google plus uh, home pages right now it's just full of stuff like it's Full, but it's not necessarily from particular people posting particular things. And so this week they they refocused their efforts on 
the two things that they found people using the most, which are private commu- or private or public communities centered around interests and personal collections, which are something they introduced earlier this year that lets you either share a post yourself or share a, a previously shared link and post it to kind of a curated collection. So I have two collections, one called blog posts, one called podcast episodes. And anytime I share something on Google Plus, I share to one of those two things. Like if I post a podcast, I'm not going to post about the podcast on Google Plus from my own account. What I'm going to do is share it from the either the Future Chat or the Unwind Media account. And then I'll just reshare to podcast episodes. And the, that lets people... By default, you're subscribed to, if you follow someone, you're subscribed, subscribed to their collections. But what it lets you do is organize what you post and also follow specific things about people. So say you have, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of a person that does multiple things, uh, but Jonathan I only have myself. Does. Sorry? Jonathan Zunger. He does. I don't know. He's, he's one of the Google Plus head guys okay and he's fairly active on google plus i follow him and he does really really interesting stuff and he does everything from history math science uh politics he and he uses the collections right. and he kind of championed the whole thing and when you see a public announcement from google plus usually it's him making that announcement okay. so yeah he's he's one that's kind of trying to encourage people to use them mm-hmm. and if you go to the Google Plus uh, collections page, there's a featured collections and all those people also use yeah, the collections, yeah. obviously, because otherwise they wouldn't be featured. Right. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I guess I'll let you finish. I'll kind of tell you how sure. my thoughts are on it. I just yeah. I just wanted to say what it lets you do is if we're using this guy as an example, say you like everything he posts about, but you don't really care about history. You can just unsubscribe. You just won't see his posts about history in your feed. And so it lets you kind of if the person you're following wants to do this, which is is very low effort to actually do, then you can have that kind of granular control over what you see from them. Yeah. Yeah. The way that, okay. So I guess going, working backwards, the way they used to do it is they had more of an emphasis on circles Yeah, and, and that was very user controlled. So it was the user controlling what audience they're broadcasting to versus the audience controlling what they see. And yeah. so there were a couple of people that I followed that or had circled, I guess, where they'd say, I'm going to start uh, a series of posts on this. Let me know if you want to get notified from them or if you want to yeah. see them or whatever. Actually, you'd still see them. You just wouldn't get notified. Yeah. So circles, you could post to a circle and they'd get notified. And but you would still see them whether you wanted to see them or not, mm-hmm. if you were, had them in your circle. Now it gives the audience control over if these posts are posted to a collection, then you're able to, like you said, unsubscribe mm-hmm. or get notified of it. You can even set specific collections to be notified on or not, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so it gives the audience a lot more control. And as far as the communities go, I found that communities were the kind of thing where it was a very underground yeah, definitely. Uh, existence. It, it wasn't an obvious thing that you could kind of use within the Google Plus environment. So now they're kind of putting them more front and center as like, hey, there's places here where you can, you know, if you're interested in cars, there's a bunch of communities about cars. Yeah. And there's you know, like money individuals posting about stuff. And I know between you and I, we've always liked that part of Google Plus better than the idea of it being a social network to interact with other people you know. Yeah. Like, it's a place to meet other people who have the same interests or just exchange ideas and have some sort of dialogue or that kind of thing. Not kind of more similar to Twitter than mm-hmm. to Facebook. But I think what Google found was that people were coming to Google plus as a Facebook alternative and being like, this place sucks. 
because a no one i know is here and no one's posting no one's using it the way facebook is which i don't think it should have ever tried to compete with no not necessarily facebook and twitter were already so ubiquitous and twitter had a hard enough time kind of getting facebook people over that they had to just become the you know the news and kind of celebrity and instantaneous spontaneous communication game whereas facebook is the share life and interact with people you know type thing and google plus is kind of in between both and wasn't really sure where they fit in Mm -hmm. so now they're in the idea of okay almost kind of heralding back to the forum days where people went to internet forums for common interests. Google plus is trying to say, Hey, there's all these different collections and communities you can subscribe to, to share in similar interests because Facebook and Twitter, neither of them offer that kind of thing. There's Mm -hmm. Facebook groups, but, or pages, I guess, but those don't really serve that same purpose. No, not at all. So, and as for myself, I always use Google plus for those type things where I found people with similar I wouldn't even say with similar interests, just people I found interesting mm-hmm. and followed their posts. Uh, I'd comment on the random thing. And I like the idea that they were real people that I could talk to, but I only ever knew them through uh, through Google+. Plus. Um, but I never really tried to use it as a Facebook or a Twitter even for that matter. I just, it had its own place in my, in my social media use. Yeah. So I think their refocus is a good move. And I think it makes it easier for new people coming over to figure out what it offers. Right coming in and being like oh this kind of looks like it's supposed to be facebook and then not having that same experience yeah there to me google plus being more forum like is a good thing like it's it's just a very modern interpretation of forums and i get really frustrated by things like uh some of the communities on google plus some of the bigger ones and so it, it kind of reminds me of reddit in a way in that they have all these things centered around specific topics and it's basically, it's kind of a wild west in that whoever gets there first gets to set the tone and gets to make the rules. And so you have, you have communities centered, like pretty large communities in both Reddit and uh, Google plus where you have moderators who make a set of ostensibly arbitrary because there's no democracy here in, in terms of the rule making process, but you end up with, no this, inherent democracy anyway. Right. Not that you can't yeah. establish that. but This is what you do here. This is what this space is for. And we reserve the right to remove any content we don't like or don't agree with for any reason. And so I find that specifically in, with places like Reddit, you get it, the, the power goes to your head as you start to get bigger and bigger to the point that you go, oh, this doesn't belong here because I said so. And it, it, this comes off as kind of the David versus Goliath kind of thing where it ends up seeming like it's just one person against the world. And so, for instance, in the there's an Ottawa subreddit, I've, I've encountered this thing, this in uh, various science related uh, Google Plus communities as well. But I'm going to use Reddit because it's a more currently relevant example of something I'm trying to do right now, um, trying to post things on the Ottawa subreddit that I'm doing relating to Ottawa and basically coming up with people saying, Oh, you know, this isn't just a place where you post links that you have worked on. This is not, they call it self-promotion and basically saying, this is not a place for that. That inherently is spam. Even if it ends up being something that's insanely popular and it's something that if anyone else had posted, it would have been amazing. Then you kind of get punished and 
face possible ban from the subreddit. Like it just seems like such a weird world where the moderators kind of they it seems like they take their roles too far. And it's the whole thing about I think taking it to a very extreme example, like power corrupting people, just seems like you kind of I imagine people going into this, oh you know, I'm gonna I got to become a moderator of the Ottawa subreddit. And you know, I'm only going to let the best stuff in and I'm going to reject all the terrible stuff that's out there. And then someone comes up and posts this thing that they worked really hard on and that everybody that they've talked to or showed it to finds it really great and they post it and someone goes, oh, you made this. You're not allowed to post that here. You're, you're just trying to promote yourself. It, it just seems like it's such an odd thing. And I encountered the same thing, as I mentioned, on the I think it's called Science on Google Plus community on yeah. Google Plus. That was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I stopped doing it because it was uh, it was too frustrating. Like they have the ability to go, and sometimes it wouldn't work. And I, you like kind of learn from those experiences. Sometimes you'd post something and it would just get no response. But other times you'd post like you'd post an episode of Future Chat or post that this we're doing this chat in, and this is what it's about. And feel free to join if you're interested. And it would get a bunch of positive response for the first twelve hours or however many hours of its existence, and then it would disappear. Uh, because one of the moderators removed it and it's just like this was getting traction people were enjoying this and you took it away because you felt like it didn't belong in your little walled garden and it just i don't like modern forums don't have any way to counteract that in that i get that there always has to be or always but there generally has to be a moderator but like why why do certain people get to be moderators and if their power sort of ruins the experience for everyone else then why like there's no easy way to change who moderators are who who actually governs what happens and you you find the same thing in politics like this isn't this isn't unique to online forums this happens in the real world too it's just it's such a hard problem to solve and so introducing things like collections where people can subscribe to individuals as opposed to having to go to a forum I think is helpful, especially if you can go into uh, Google Plus, for instance, and search for uh, collections that are about sports. And you can go and see, oh, these are the people that I want to follow and hear about what they have to say about sports. Like if I wanted to set up an Ottawa themed uh, collection on Google Plus, I can just do that. And people that want to hear what happens in with Ottawa, they can just go and follow it. Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't like forms in that regard when they're too heavily moderated like i think reddit already has an upvote downvote system if if people get fed up there's already a system to say oh you know this is spam it's not good it's not something people are going to want to see that immediately get goes away already you don't have to remove it for being spam it just seems like an abuse of power based on people wanting to have their ideal thing be the thing that happens because they ostensibly own that that area there they govern it and uh, i don't i don't know why i had to go on a rant about <laughs> moderators and ownership of of digital <laughs> kind of forums but there there you are yeah no and, and that's that's the big thing is that google plus offers a place where yeah it's not as politically charged as a forum can get mm -hmm. as far as the the collections go because you're subscribing to one person and if you don't like what they have to say you just unfollow them but you can discover a lot of people that even if they're not like they'll they'll post an article and just comment about it and then it generates a whole thread of conversation yep. based on that. So it's not even that the people themselves are especially insightful or whatever, but 
I guess they generated enough of a following that it allows for that discussion to take place and they'll bring up good topics and, and that kind of thing. And, and yeah, I think that's where Google plus really shines. It's just bringing people together and commenting like Twitter with their threaded conversations has helped a lot. It's helped on that. Yeah. End. It's helped, but it hasn't made it especially great to yep. do. It's, it's still a not word. a place for discussion It's better, but it's not, it's still not ideal. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is just, well, it's Facebook, and like I, I it, it is though. Like is. Google Plus, I think is slightly better because the trolls. You either have people who have stuff to say, or you have I. I don't know. I I don't encounter too many trolls on Google Plus. No, it's there, there's like spam, and there's people who just post and say hello on stuff, and it's like yep. okay, but at <laughs> least it's not trolls. I think what Google Plus could use is like threaded replies yeah. because it can be very confusing because the way it works now is you just, if you want to reply to someone's comment, you just take them in the post, Yeah, but you have no idea what specific one they're replying to. Mm-hmm. If it's like, if it's a, one of the first comments and someone way down below is replying to them, you'll never know that that's the one they're replying to Yeah, because there isn't even a quoting system. I think even a quoting system would be better. There's no, yeah, you'd have to do have it manually now. if you wanted to. Right. But you can't link back to the original comment. You probably could, but it'd be very annoying and weird. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not integrated into the system. So it'd be (laughs) no, but yeah, if they had like a quoting system, like some of the article discussion forums have, or, or just even the forums from back in the day, they had quoting systems. So I think if Google plus, if that was kind of the next thing they integrated, it's at least threading, if not quoting. Yeah. So they, yeah, even Google or not Google, even Facebook, has at least one extra level of threading, yeah, which is good. And I understand the reasoning behind not wanting to do that because it makes things way messier. But and and I think Facebook does have a happy medium in there, and that they added one extra level of threading, and then you start to just get inline replies. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's an odd system in that you'll start off like I had this instance actually yesterday on Facebook where I went to go reply to a comment and realized I couldn't reply because the thread that I was looking at was already a reply to a comment. I was like, okay, so I have to reply to that comment. My, my reply isn't actually relevant to the comment. It's relevant to the, the sub comment. (laughs) It's right. It's a weird thing, but yeah, it, uh, that's just kind of the world we live in. Yeah. But it's better than Reddit. And what's the other one? Uh, not imager. Imgur? Which is, no, there's the other, maybe it is Imgur, that have just thread, 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 and then expand, thread, 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 like 50 billion threads. Right. I think Reddit does do that. And there's, maybe it is Imgur that has the same, the same type setup. But I don't like those either, because we talked about that before, how Reddit just has a horrible user experience when you start trying to follow, like, sub, 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 sub threads. Yeah. I think but, Reddit does it really well, because that is the focus of their product, as opposed to just being oh, we're going to throw in this commenting and you can reply to threads. That's all you have on Reddit. So I think it makes it okay. And the way the way their commenting system works really is quite well thought out. It's never going to necessarily be perfect, but it's, I think, I don't really have any major problems with the commenting system on Reddit. If my main concern is with the, the human element of moderators trying too hard. Like if something doesn't fit with the the section, that's fine. But I feel like when you're t- when you have the sort of Wild West thing I mentioned earlier, when you're talking about there's a certain group of people who moderate the Ottawa subreddit because they created it first. 
mm-hmm. you I don't think they should get a say on if something is Ottawa related, let the voting system have at it. Don't right. moderate it. You're, don't heavily moderate unless something isn't related to Ottawa. Right. So you're saying let the upvote downvote system handle yeah, it. That's right. that's the whole point. If if you do that to any great extent, you become tyrannical instead of letting the, the sure. democracy actually work. Yeah. Did you have anything to say on Hangouts? You have Google Plus slash Hangouts. I don't know if it really fits in this discussion. Um, the I read a Google Plus post last week talking about a new streamlined interface for Hangouts on the web. Similar, it looks very similar to what uh, you get on mobile. And people talking about how the new Hangouts that, again, if you see it as an A-B tester, you can opt out of it and go back to the old version that the kind that we have right now. Um, but they were talking about how the new Hangouts doesn't have apps and how it's very basic. Like it, I think they said it still has screen sharing, but the Google Hangout apps that we really like, especially in Hangouts on Air, like we're doing now, people were saying, oh, you know, it's gone. I, I love either doing Hangouts on Air with a bunch of apps or just hanging out with people and having apps. Or I follow some show that does Hangouts on Air and uses it this, this, and this in very interesting and creative ways. I can't believe they got rid of apps. And it's like, this is a test. It's not done. Um, for instance, and so when I saw that, I said, uh, it, does anyone have actual evidence of this being gone as opposed to just not implemented yet? And I, I heard a couple people saying, oh, you know, this is, it's just a sign of the times. And you have to, like, Google's going to kill it the way they killed all their stuff. And I was like, yeah, reader being dead is terrible. Like it's years later and I still lament that loss because it was so great. Yeah. Um, but in general, what they like people were talking about how the new maps is terrible. And I was just like, the new maps is amazing. And people have this one niche feature that they use and it it's gone in the new version, or at least it's gone for a while until they add it back. And it's like, this breaks maps for me. I can't use it. But like the new maps is so, so much better. It's so much more advanced in every possible way. I don't see how you could miss specific things more than the overall experience improving so much i'm always yeah, gonna take well, the new thing yeah well that's the thing it's just change sucks that's yeah. people's take on things people so. don't like change at all and that's the yeah. reaction i'm seeing to both the new google plus and the new hangouts like people saying oh you know with new google plus interface on desktop and on mobile you actually on mobile it's not it's a moot point but on desktop they now have, they've streamlined the interface, so events isn't there yet. You can opt back to the old layout, but like events isn't there and people are freaking out. But like they just, they've literally come out and said, we're doing it. It's just not there yet. That's why we're testing this out. And you can go back to the <laughs> old layout. And people are saying the same thing about the Hangouts app on mobile, but it literally is in the sidebar. All the same stuff is still available. You just, I don't know, I find it, I find it frustrating. Yeah. My first reaction to the new Google Plus was that they got rid of circles and then you <laughs> they, they hit pointed it. Hit out them that better. They, they hit it. It's not it's not an integral part of the experience anymore. Right. Before it was like circle, circle, circles, and now it's like, oh, if you really want circles, you have to go into three sub menus and then if you really want them, then they're there. But right. it's not it's not a central part of the experience anymore. Because people didn't use them. Like some people did, obviously, but in general right. people it's same thing on Facebook, same thing on Twitter. People don't go through the effort of organizing the people. They just complain when the people aren't organized for them because <laughs> right. people do do that. And it's like, Oh, you actually can do this. Uh, you can put like on Facebook, on Google plus on Twitter, you can put people into lists or into circles or into groups. And 
you tell someone that and they're like, oh, you can do that. And then like, I'll talk to them months later and they'll be like, oh yeah, I still haven't done that. You, <laughs> you can't have both. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like the new thing of Hangouts, uh, letting you use a Hangout without an account. I, I get why they want, why they put it in as a, ne- as a necessity in the first place because you needed plugins, you needed certain internet technologies that weren't necessarily implemented. Yeah. You have to download something. Um, but now they have made huge steps to get to remove that requirement. Yeah. I don't know what it was. And maybe it's, I misremembered the change, but I had to download a plugin for this Hangout that we're doing right now okay. for Internet Explorer. But I think I remember now that you had the option of not downloading the plugin, mm-hmm. but I, ca- I can't remember now off the top of my head. But I, I was surprised when it had me download the plugin because I'm not using Chrome. I think Chrome... I think it's Chrome. I think that's yeah. the thing. Okay. But feel free to test it out if... Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like Hangouts. I don't understand. I talk to people, or I don't talk to people. I, I hear people who podcast about, like they're technology people and they're podcasting every week and they always talk about skype problems and i'm like there's a better thing there's a thing that is great like maybe your maybe their internet service is just terrible where they are but we never have problems like sometimes during peak hours uh nick nick's connection will drop out or like drop down to a lower quality but i don't that's just his own bandwidth yeah that's what i mean yeah i don't think we've ever had any issues relating to hangouts in doing these chats every week no. for the last almost two years. No. The only issue is the lower third on Chrome sometimes <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah. So for the last for the last couple of episodes, when I was using my Mac, I had to switch to Safari mm-hmm. and my lower third showed up fine. And this I'm using IE and it's showing up fine. So so something that doesn't really impact the quality I get, like the, these apps are tied to Hangouts APIs. And so if those change, things get odd but yeah yeah, that to have that be your biggest complaint it's like this is a pretty good service i um yeah that the lg watch i can't believe they canceled it i i know it doesn't make sense everyone was reviewing it it was getting good reviews it's just like oh man yeah and it was like they made such a big deal of it they launched android wear with cellular for that that's why they launched at the time crazy Crazy. And they're almost like, oh yeah, sorry. And it's like, what, you can just take it away? Like, how does that? <laughs> I, mean, I was even, hang. when I read that, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, like my birthday had already passed. And right. I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready for a smartwatch yet, but I'm like, oh, and I was like, oh, apparently it's not happening. That was... Yeah. And even the reviewers are like, I literally have one on my wrist right now. What's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> it just disappears. Yeah. One guy was like, LG, it'd be really nice to know if this thing's going to explode on my wrist because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't give a reason. Like they didn't, didn't give specifics for why it was right. canceled. They're like, oh, some mechanical issue or something. Yeah. It was obviously enough to like literally cancel it. And, the, and they even said whether we release it or not is still to be seen. Yeah. It's crazy. It's not even like they're delaying it. Yeah. It's like, this is done. 